0: Hello, and welcome to the Three Will Podcast. This is your host, Danny Ryan, and today I have here with me Bob Morris. Bob, how are you doing? Doing great, Danny. How are you? I'm doing wonderful, and you are, your title is Principal Scrum Master. Yes. Yeah, it has a nice ring to it. Huh? Doesn't it? I feel, after I say that, I want to I want to bow to you, or I want to do some sort of, uh, you know, it's, it sounds like a very official title. I like it. So, what we're going to talk about today is some real-world project management topics. And uh, I think it's always nice to, to sort of talk about reality. What is uh, some of the things that um, you read in books, and then you have the real world, and how do we apply some of that to the real world? And um, we've had plenty of discussions on this podcast about process, and most folks um, know that we typically use Scrum on projects which is one of the agile um, processes that are out there. And we actually had a conversation this morning with Rob, and we were talking about um, how we uh, combine some of these different processes depending upon what we're trying to do. Now, what I wanted to talk with you um, was about Scrum, about how do we deal with the fact that things change? How do we continue to be flexible? What is it that we need to do in order to um, maintain flexibility in the projects that we have?
1: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think we'll, we'll talk about uh, one specific aspect of uh, how we typically execute our, our projects. And as you mentioned, we use uh, an Agile Scrum project approach. And I, I guess this whole discussion is predicated on the, the point that you know, change is sort of part of human nature. And one of the things that we we commonly deal with on projects is um, customers, you know, expectations get set pretty firmly up front, um, you know, with our projects on features and functionality and costs um, and schedules. Um, But the problem is, is that the the detailed business objectives and requirements that go along with those expectations tend to change Mm -hmm. uh, as you know the customer learns more about what it is we're doing, and they start seeing things actually, uh, you know, getting a little flesh and bone on them. So this is all about how we how we deal with that, because the, I guess the the central sort of conundrum you have is something that relates to an old project management concept. Uh, people prior familiar with the triple constraint, sometimes people call it iron triangle. Basically, just saying that. If you you know you've got scope, time, and cost, and that applies to any project. Doesn't matter if you're using uh, Agile Scrum or any other approach. Mm-hmm. And uh, typically, a change in one of those areas, uh, and the most typical change is maybe an increase in scope. It's going to impact those other areas. Uh, it Can impact both of those other areas. You know, increasing time and increasing cost. And then you know the real world and expectations that customers have. Um, You know, that's just not a realistic uh, uh, way to deal with those kinds of specific changes that occur along the way. In other words, every time we have a change, we we don't immediately uh, say that the other things, time and cost, are going to have to change. Yep. Yep. Somebody uh, the other
0: day threw an iron triangle at my head and it hurt so (laughs) much. Yeah. it keeps the They're it heavy. can hurt you in the real yeah, it yeah, is heavy it is heavy, so it seems like we're gonna you know it it is one of those sort of tenants that you have to deal with and um you know, with that, you know, but, but, you change is inevitable. It's one of those things that just, it it happens. And and how do we deal with that in the real world? Now let's talk about, um, I know there's a recent project that we want to sort of dive into. And let's talk about how this played out with dealing with some of those real
1: world constraints. Yeah. So, um, you know, as you mentioned at the top, uh, one of the most common approaches we use for our projects is a, a Scrum, which is a, an agile project approach. And um, a lot of times, uh, there's there's a term that gets used a lot in in agile Scrum circles called the art of the possible. Um, and it's and it's something that we use to describe how this approach helps us cope with those changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and essentially what this phrase means, it's just all about avoiding perfectionism. Sometimes you'll hear people use the phrase, perfect is the enemy of good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a recent project, um, and we're talking about a project that had thousands of hours of uh, you know, human effort involved in it. And it started out being something that was, it seemed relatively straightforward. Um, a lot of it had to do with porting code from from one platform to the other but but even in projects like that that up front look like they're going to be pretty you know clean and you know no changes, inevitably you start getting these changes. People come up with ideas, they see new capabilities in a new platform they weren't previously aware of. you know the team comes up with ideas as well. Uh, it's not just the product owner. Um, and so it's inevitable that you're going to have these changes, yep. So, um,
0: yeah, and I I, th- I think one of the key aspects you're hitting on is is a project can fail if you're inflexible. <laughs> if yeah. you, if you, it's one of those things. If you started out and you you can be um, technically correct and and you know, hey, you agreed upon this and. Um, and you know, we don't like to, uh, we typically, you know, we're, we're, when we're working on projects, we, we do do change controls, but we typically try to work with uh, the original budget that was put in place and sort of mm-hmm. try to be add flexibility as a part of the project. And instead of, you know, tr- trying to say, Hey, you agree to this in the beginning, we're sticking with this and blinders on we're even we're moving ahead.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so you know that that's sort of the philosophy, but trying to make that actually happen, yeah. um, you know that that's where the art comes in, in the uh, the art of the possible. And, and basically, uh, the main mechanism we use for that, uh-huh. something that uh, I think everybody is familiar with that has uh, been involved in Scrum projects in the past is is the product backlog. This is, you know, that's the list essentially of the requirements that we need to fulfill in order to say we're done with this project and we use that product backlog in a very particular way we call it ordering the priorities and it's something we do on a continuous basis with our customers as we go through the project and it is what allows us to you know fight the good fight in terms of you know not letting perfect overwhelm you know the good enough um, in mm-hmm. a project mm-hmm so whenever change occurs we always respond with this uh, technique of ordering the priorities and it's uh, you know it's basically a couple of steps um, the the first step I, I think most people again that are familiar with scrum are, are already aware of and that is uh, assigning a priority level to everything in our backlog and there is a pretty standard way of doing this we we subscribe to that as well it's called the uh, the moscow method which is just an acronym for must have should have could have and we even have a level called um, won't have and we will include things in that backlog with won't have just so we have clarity with our product owner our customer on things that maybe were considered but you know are not going to be in scope from the project so the way normally the projects work is everything that's in that must-have category we know we must have them in order to say that we're done with the project Things that are in the should-have and could-haves, those are things that we might deliver if if we have availability of, of budget and the schedule permits. Mm-hmm. So we typically try and be optimistic on those things. But the problem with stopping there is it just doesn't give enough uh, information to the team on what they need to do day-to-day in the project to be efficient. So... There's a second step to this, which is we actually go in, and again, this is kind of on a continuous basis with our, our product owner, our customer, and we order those backlog items with each of those priorities. And um, you know, we, we review those, and basically the order tells the team you know, what to do first. And this ordering is something that is can be based on uh, you know business or technical constraints. You know, for example, we may say, "Well, we need to, uh, you know, build out some development environments before we can actually start creating the first build." Yeah. So, those two those two steps um, that that's really sort of the the key that we're using here to try and bring this concept of you know art of the possible to the to the project. Um. So, so quick question. Yeah. So when you're so you're doing this,
0: um we're first working with a customer and we put together the initial backlog and then they we have them at that point in time they're the ones who decide which of those um must have should have could have won't have um so they're they're the ones who are are setting that up what what stops a customer from saying, I want all must-have, <laughs> you know, I, I guess from, 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 uh, and I, I, and this may be just sort of, well, if you, if, if everything's a must-have, then we're going to set the budget pretty high because if we need to get all of that done. Then we're just factoring that into the overall time and cost of the project.
1: Right. I, and, and I think the the key to that is we, we, uh, align on expectations at yeah. the beginning of the project. Yeah. And that could be, uh, so we have, uh, you know, kind of a high-level backlog at the beginning of a project, and it could be that everything in there is a must-have. I've seen some projects like that. It could be that there are things recognized up front that uh, you know, from a business uh, perspective, would be nice to have, but they don't absolutely have to have them, and so they might not be in the must-have category. But but the key thing is, as we go through the project, you know, we're working off that initial alignment of expectations, and we're very protective about making sure that both we and the customer is in agreement and alignment on what gets into that must-have category mm-hmm. um, for things that, that end up getting added to the project. Um, and in some cases, we'll, we'll go um, into a project, and again, you, you learn as you go a lot of times, We'll end up, there'll be new items that may come into the backlog that, that a product owner makes a decision that, you know, actually that's got more value to the business mm-hmm. than some of the original things. And so we, this approach that we're using here accommodates flexibility as far as that goes. So they, as long as, uh, you know, we've got something in, must have in the existing backlog that we haven't started on and there's no dependency on other things, They could actually pull that out and substitute something of you know equal amount of effort, okay. Um, And we'll just you know absorb that change as part of the the, the project.
0: And do you is this where you start talking about like story points where you say you may be able to exchange one that's of similar story points to another, exactly? Okay, yeah, that that, and then I think it's kind of interesting that you on the second step of this as well, it sounds like you also. You're looking at both business and technical constraints. And I think some of the technical, what, what I would think there would be, you would look at like the story points. What's the estimate on this? And if it's, you know, sometimes when you're filling up that shopping basket, you might not reach for something that, you know, is really expensive when you could get two of something else, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're trying, you're, you are really factoring in both business and technical constraints to what's the order of what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it essentially boils down to taking, you know, what could be very big decisions in terms of cost and time and features and breaking it into a very small, you know, a set of very small decisions. And then a lot of times it's much easier to make a bunch of small decisions than one huge decision. Yep. Certainly less risk. And now you mentioned
0: um, sort of an analogy with a house in a tropical rainforest. T- tell me sort of
1: how the, how does this play out to that? Well, sometimes uh, to try and give people an understanding of, of why we've got the, these priority levels, and then we 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 need to order those, um, this is something that's pretty well known, I guess, in agile uh, project circles. Yeah, it's it's a house in a tropical rainforest, and I think it's it's, it's predicated mm-hmm. on the idea that you know there are many things you could think of that would be sort of must have for that kind of a project, a construction yep. project, you know, walls, roof, floors all those things um, and there could even be things that are should have meaning you know maybe the decision between silver and gold plated plumbing hardware or <laughs> you know 10 year and 15 year shingles so those things sort of represent what we call the backlog and they're they're really great uh, guides in terms of figuring out what do you really need to get finished to give the most value to a customer at a predictable cost and duration mm-hmm. of a project but Again, you could really make a mistake, for example, if you go in and the first thing you start doing is you know, putting in floors, and then you it's in a tropical rainforest, so you're going to get rain and it's mm-hmm. going to destroy the, the floors. So you need that extra layer of information to order these must-have items mm-hmm. so that you know, well, you got to put up four posts first and then put the roof on top of that, and then you can start building the floor and the walls while you're dried in. So that's, that's the idea of, of ordering within the priorities, and, and you, you also, sometimes people wonder why you're ordering things that are maybe in the should-have category. Well, if as we're going through the project, if we have something in a should-have category and we have confidence that we're going to get everything that's in the must-have category finished, we wanna know, well, if we have extra time, what's the very next thing we should work on? And we don't wanna to have to go back and have a lot of meetings mm-hmm. and discussions. And so you order that should have list and the team knows they can just take the first thing off the list.
0: The the another thing I like about this is that typically project I mean we we're talking like a project has a, a start date, end date, and typically what happens for us is is we're working on maybe the first phase of something and it's and it might have multiple phases to it mm-hmm. so what i think of is that, you know these must-haves are you know what we have to have maybe for this first phase of the project and what i like about this is you, you know you almost can roll very easily into the second phase and some of the should-haves might become must-haves for that phase but at least you're maintaining a list of because these are you know this is a living breathing creature that you're creating yeah and you know with it there's you know your first phase hey I'm just you know you're really just worrying about what do we the walls and the roof and the floors but then the second phase you're worried about other things that uh, sort of pop up to the priority but at least you've got them captured in the backlog and you go through and I guess I guess that's part of the planning for phase two as you go through the backlog again and then sort of say what's, you know, things might
1: be must have that are in second phase. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, it, it's a good point, Danny. You, you know, you talk about growth of the backlog in the, you know, should have, could have area. Um, when we see that in a project, we that's certainly not a sign of, uh, you know, poor health of a project. That's actually a, a healthy project. Um, and it provides values to our customers. Maybe they're not going to do that now, but they've got a head start on planning and understanding what really should come next and what, what's the next thing that could provide value, even if that's not something they're going to budget for to do right now. Excellent. Excellent. Um, uh, you know,
0: it's with having the requirements and ordering the requirements and knowing what's going, going to happen next. Um, it just it seems like it's gonna it's a there's a better flow to the project as well,
1: yeah, and it's uh you know earlier when I was talking about splitting you know big decisions up into a bunch of smaller decisions is sometimes um you know a a product owner will have some other stakeholder even come in with a new idea, something that that really would improve um something that we're we're trying to deliver. But when they look at that at at a detailed level and they think about, well, what will that mean in terms of trade-offs of other things? I can't, if I want to stick within, you know, my current budget, maybe I can't do that unless I'm willing to pull something else out. And it really requires them to make those kind of value decisions at a very detailed level. And and, and they're able to do that other than just saying, well, you know, everything that I previously identified, you know, just do it. Uh, here's a new thing. Tell me how much it's going to cost, and we've got to go through the change management process. Um, so it's 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 a lot more efficient way of trying to make those judgments.
0: Let's um, for wrapping this up. Let's talk about um, a, a recent project that you had. Um, you know, it had it seemed like it had a relatively uh, straightforward set of requirements. Um, you know, what? How did that? What? Tell me more about that that particular project.
1: Yeah, so this was, uh, it, it certainly wasn't one of our smaller projects. We're talking about thousands of hours uh, of work. Um, I like I, this. I like this <laughs> a lot. And, and I wish and this I, was our typical type of project. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, this was, uh, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, it was initially thought to be something that was going to be pretty straightforward. Uh-huh. It involved, uh, you know, porting some code. From an earlier version of a of an application over to a new platform. Gotcha. Um, and and even you know some of the objectives were you know the f- the first priority is you know don't disrupt the user experience and make you know this should be completely transparent to users. But you know it's inevitable when you're doing that work you start noticing some of those little inefficiencies maybe in the application that you'd like to clean up since you're already in there working with the code. Or maybe you see a way to do something differently that could really leverage some new functionality of the new platform. Mm-hmm. And that's how those changes crept in there. And there there wasn't a lot of uh, you know wiggle room in terms of trying to add new things. And there wasn't a lot of wiggle room to remove things because ultimately we had to port over all of the existing functionality to this new platform. So we, we had, uh, I guess you could say, scarce resources in terms of Uh, the ability to add things uh, or enhance things in our project. But this worked really well because it allowed us to be very, very smart with those scarce resources in terms of being able to add a few things that didn't require a lot of work but really had a lot of bang for the buck. And and we were able to do that. So we, we ended up delivering this project, again, it was thousands of hours, very, very close in terms of the original cost estimate but it actually had some features and functions that were uh, enhanced above what was in the original uh, plan. So, pretty good outcome uh, for everybody. You know, our product owner was able to point to uh, sticking to our budget, and at the same time, these users were happy because they saw some some changes and improvements.
0: I love a good happy ending. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) It seems to me that your role on some of these projects um, is really just to report reality. <laughs> you know, you're you're almost there. You're trying to help um, the client make good decisions as you're going along on this project. That's really you're sort of like guiding them mm-hmm. and, and helping them to make sure that you know, they're doing the right things with setting priorities, with making sure you know what we're working on next is the next highest
1: value thing for us to work on. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of people, uh, you know, first of all, the Scrum Master name sounds strange to a lot of people that aren't involved in this kind of work. Um, and the most common way that I'll, I'll tell people, you know, what it is, is, is it's, it's a coach role. It's a coaching yeah. role. And, you know, we, our philosophy here is that coaching role is not just for the three-wheel team, but it's for our customers as well. And so we, we don't take that responsibility lightly, and that's one of the things we do, is to help coach our customers through this process of making you know, these smaller decisions that lead to really good, large outcomes.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I think it's a, it's a great way of ending this, coach. Way to, <laughs> Principal coach, or Let, I'll just call you coach, head coach. Yeah, let's head to the showers. Okay. <laughs> and with that, let's wrap it up. Uh, Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. And thank you, everybody, for listening today, and have a wonderful day. Take care. Bye-bye.